the most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective. Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and that is what makes us Americans. Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya. Thirteen ten KNOX 107.9-1033 FM. Good morning. It is 906.16 out on our way to a daytime high of 34. My name's Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this morning. Churches are closing in rapid numbers in the U.S., researchers say. Congregations dwindle across the country, and a younger generation of Americans abandon Christianity altogether, even as faith continues to dominate American politics. As the U.S. adjusts to the increasingly non-religious population, thousands of churches are closing each year in the country, a figure that experts believe may have accelerated since the COVID-19 pandemic. So joining me to break this down is Pastor Mason Peters. Welcome in, sir. Hey, thank you for the invite. Thank you for taking the time to be here. So this idea that churches are closing, before we can talk about churches are closing and what that means and how we respond, I guess my first question is, Pastor, what is church? Wow, great, great start. Uh, church, I think historically, traditionally, we tend to think of all the places where we see buildings in town. That's the church. That's the church. That's our building. Mm. Um, but so important to continue to communicate and understand that church is actually a group of people. Uh, and from my perspective, it's a group of people that ultimately have come to believe that Jesus is real, that his claims about himself were true, yeah. uh, that he ultimately fulfilled those claims about himself uh, with his resurrection. And... Uh, promises hope and uh, the the power to have your life changed for the good. And so as those people who have come to understand that Jesus is real and has risen from the dead and is changing their lives, gather together and worship and form a group of people with that same idea in mind, they form what I would call the church. Mm. So you have this collection of church, of people that are worshiping and, and, and I guess modeling their lives after Christ. Sure. What would you say to the person who says, yeah, but I don't believe in God exists, so why would I bother going to church? Or why would I hang around with church? So there's an intellectual question there in that, that it the, forms the premise. And hmm. so my first instinct is to ask, well, why don't you believe that God exists? How did you arrive at that conclusion? Hmm. Uh, at the same time, I think there's all sorts of reasons why we look at a church and we say, well, even if I acknowledge that God exists, if I get there intellectually, which obviously I have, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, I spent a, a lot of time in my life trying to get to that point where I was absolutely convinced that God existed, that he sent his son in, in human form to the earth, mm-hmm. that Jesus is who he said he was. That wasn't just a wasn't a blind acceptance of something that was proposed to me. It was it was a hard journey for me to really come to that point where I know I accept this as not only factually true but historically accurate, um, and and not just a traditional value passed on. So I came to that conclusion. So I, mm-hmm. I guess part of the conversation would have to be there. Where how did you come to that conclusion? And and we arrive at different places there. Um, I wonder in my own mind if many 
people who say they don't necessarily believe that God is true are at least opening to exploring. Mm. And, uh, you know, and when I think about the church where I pastor, I would go, you are, we love it when people enter the building during one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, depending on your age group or whatever it is. Uh, when people enter our building going, I don't really believe, but I'm at least open to investigating. Mm. Uh, what a great place to investigate who Jesus is and whether the claims he made about himself are true than in a gathering of people who are doing the same thing. So you would take a pragmatic approach. It's a, hey, have your mind open enough to see why a bunch of these people come together and profess to believe a certain thing. Be open to exploring why that might be. I would not only say that to someone who is not yet convinced that Jesus is real or that mm. Christianity can I would say that to a person who's a deeply committed Christian. And so, and, and I, I'll use my own story. I grew up in a deeply traditional Christian home, mm-hmm. uh, attended a university. I was a science guy. I was a pre-med student. So did the biology and the chemistry and the physics and were intro- not introduced, but really ingrained in a lot of scientific theory about the origins of the world. And, yeah. and, and through that process, I started having some real questions about some of the traditional things I had been taught. And yet when I dug deeper into them, even as a Christian at that point, I mm-hmm. really dug and said, well, wait a minute, if some of this is true, then I want to... I either want to abandon what I have been taught about Jesus or it's going to deepen my faith in Jesus. Mm. And, and I, you know, I keep going to this third year biochemistry class where we talk about, I use this example all the time. Here mm. we are spending hours, you know, I'm, I'm old. So we were doing this all on either a chalkboard or a, or a whiteboard and, sure. and the professors drawn diagrams of what it looks like when a molecule of glucose is broken down into its component parts as you ingest it, mm. uh, a microscopic molecule and all of the infinite pieces. And for me, as I watched all of that unfold, there was a, there's kind of a holy cow moment. It was like, wow, that is unbelievably intricate. And Mm. for me, it confirmed something. It didn't confirm that Jesus was real, but it confirmed something about an intelligent designer behind this whole thing. And that sort of just pushed me down that road. So Mm -hmm. I would say the same, I I think it's something, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say this. my observation of culture right now is we are desperately closed to anybody's ideas other than our own. Yes. And I would love to see us return to a little bit more grace, a little bit more openness to say, well, this is what I believe, Yeah. but let me in, in grace and patience explore what other people are believing and why and test them. And, and again, I'm, I'm a dedicated follower of Jesus. I truly believe as you do that, I think people are going to move in the direction of Jesus because of his claims being so persistently accurate. So our question, 775-5559, why would somebody who doesn't believe in God step into a church? So if that's you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I wouldn't step foot in a church, then tell me why. 775-5559. Now, a text messenger says this, why did evangelicals line up behind Trump? when he represented much of what Christians don't. You know, yeah. and, and, and this is interesting, and I, I don't want to get too political here, but there sure. is there's definitely a, if we are willing to check our politics and say, okay, right, left, center, whatever, if I'm a follower of Christ, then I believe in a certain way of treating other people because I'm going to model the way that Christ t- treated other people. Right. And if I look at the way that Donald Trump treats some people, can we objectively look at that and say, no, that is not Christ-like? I think we can. I can absolutely look at Donald Trump or um, I'm already losing track of time. It was Hillary Clinton that he ran against. Sure. And I can put them both on the pedestal in front of me. And objectively, I think, say neither of those two candidates modeled Jesus very well. <laughs> sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. I, I, like, that's not even a confusing thing to me. 
Um, the question is, why did so many evangelicals line up behind Donald Trump? And I, mm. I don't know that I want to speak on behalf of all the evangelicals that voted for Donald Trump. Sure. But I'll put myself in the position of a voter today. If I'm faced with those two choices, I, again, pardon me for being cynical, but I'm looking at two you know, objectively less than ideal people and being asked to vote for one of them. Yes. And both of them model Jesus very poorly. Yeah. So what am I left with? You're left with individual freedom to say which one of those candidates will afford you the ability to exercise your faith to the extent that you want to be able to do that. And I think if we start looking at leaders that way, like I had a friend who always used to tell me, if you if you get if you stay up at night worrying about who's going to be elected president, then there's too much power in the office of the president. Like, Absolutely. We shouldn't have those kinds of discussions. Right. And and I I will go and look at it and say I I was less offended by anyone that voted differently than I did Mm -hmm. than by the person who voted for their person and claimed that they were objectively good while the other candidate was obviously objectively evil. Yes. I don't care if you voted for Hillary or Donald. If you looked at them and said, this is the good godly candidate and the other one's evil, you're not seeing things accurately. This This is very simple. These are very imperfect candidates who model the behavior of Jesus very poorly. You're left with a tough choice. Why would somebody who doesn't believe in God step into a church? That's our question this hour. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Well, lots of good stuff. Uh, Just 15 minutes into your uh, conversation here. Um, And I think I wanted to kind of comment on the, you know, voting for uh, Trump or whatever. I I don't remember the exact. I'm going to paraphrase, horribly, horribly paraphrase. But it does talk in the Bible about God setting um leaders into place and uh you know god making that choice and he uses us obviously to to vote and get people there so god places people into leadership um in the nation in the state whatever with a specific purpose in mind um when we talk about somebody reflecting who jesus is um i don't know that i would say Trump did a poor job of that, and here's why I would say it. Uh, the majority of Christians are pro-life. He was pro-life. The majority of Christians uh, feel that the church should be out feeding the hungry and, and sheltering the homeless, et cetera, et cetera. Trump wanted to make things better in our nation so we could achieve those things. Um, Trump supported you know, freedom of religion. If, if Trump would have been in office, I think churches would have been uh, more open during the pandemic, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So so I think we're not voting for Trump and saying, this is a godly man, I want him in, but I'm saying the things that I want to achieve as a Christian are, are going to be easier to achieve with this man in, in office. So mm. that's kind of where I came from. As far as, real quick, on, on people stepping into church, I guess there's two different kind of approaches where you can look at and say the purpose of the church, and again, like you said, it's a group of people, but the purpose of the the church is to evangelize. But really, Jesus sent out uh, individuals. He sent people out, and he said, go. So I think by the time you're asking somebody, do you want to come to church with me, you've built such a relationship with them that they trust you. It's not necessarily the church, but they trust you. And they go, you know, you've always been... You've always been kind to me. You've always, uh, you know, been open with me. You understand what I believe. You don't criticize me for it. Yeah, I'll give church a try, and I'll come in. And 
that sermon on Sunday morning, I feel the majority of the time that sermon on Sunday morning is geared towards people who already believe and who already follow Christ. And I think that's what the church is supposed to do. And then we as individuals should be out evangelizing and bringing people in. So uh, trying to hit all of your wonderful topics in a very short call, but that's how I feel on those things, I guess. I love it. I appreciate the call. 775-5559, the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at com. So a text messenger says this. If you objectively look at Scientology, it's crazy. If you objectively look at Christianity, it's also pretty crazy. How is somebody supposed to choose between the two or the other of hundreds of religions? That's a great question. And I have to interpret a little bit here. Mm. I'm not sure what the texter means when they say, well, if you objectively look at Christianity, it's crazy. Does it make all sorts of preposterous claims? Yes. Uh, we'll just, we're, we're, you know, barreling towards Easter. We're going to mm. gather as a church, as the Christian church, and we're mm. going to celebrate the fact that we truly believe Jesus said he would die and be executed, which is historically true. There's mm-hmm. no there's no real argument about whether Jesus was a historical figure. There's no real argument about whether the Romans executed him. There's no real argument about on the third day they went to a tomb where they buried him and his body was missing. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not really the argument. The question is, what happened to that body? Yeah. And so the in quote-unquote preposterous, crazy claim of the Christian community is that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He rose from the dead. That's a, that's a significant claim. So I don't want to say I reject the argument, but I have serious questions about an argument that say, well, if I look at one religion, it's crazy, this religion is crazy, this religion is crazy, and Christianity is crazy. Yes, it makes preposterous claims, but historically, as I keep digging in and deeping in, digging in <clears throat> deeper and deeper, like that's a question for me. If Jesus actually rose from the dead and fulfilled the claim that he said, mm-hmm. well, that really bears a lot of weight. And I, I'll just, you know, I can state emphatically, I've come out on this and said, well, let's look at all the options. The tomb was empty. Nobody's arguing. What happened to the body? Yeah. And, and I know it sounds preposterous, but the only reasonable solution to that predicament is that Jesus rose from the dead. And there's, a, there's, a, there's 10 other theories and they all don't stand to reason. So the least crazy of the solutions is that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, I now read that back into the scriptures and I go, okay, Jesus is the son of God. He did what he said he would do. This has got some meat. I have to sit here for a while. I have to be open now and say, if that's true and it kind of looks like it is, I got to wrestle with this with this scripture quite a bit. 100%. So when we come back, I want to talk uh, a little bit about the 77% of people who believe in God or a higher power, the 74% of people who would like to grow spiritually. That's up next. News Radio 1310 KNOX 1079 1033 FM. Good morning, 925 18 out on our way to a daytime high of 34. We're talking about the decline in American churches. And why are people who don't believe in God, why might they step into a church? Or maybe another question to ask would be if 
you have unchurched neighbors and they want to grow spirit, or excuse me, if you used to attend church and you stopped attending, why? 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Good morning, Noah. How are you today? Good, good. How are you? Good, good. Hey, by the way, just as a quick aside, how long has it been since we've heard a commercial advertising an overstock of ammunition while I was on hold? (laughs) That's been a while. Stock up, my friend. Yes, that may be sign of God of grace. I don't know, but uh, but I, I when I what, what prompted me to call was your your two numbers seventy seven and seventy four percent, and I, I count myself among both of those percentages: uh, a person who believes in God and a person who wants to grow more spiritually. Both, uh, but you know, I grew up really in a couple of Protestant faiths. I uh, was uh, I was baptized as a Methodist. Uh, I joined the Congregational Church. Uh, that was the church I was confirmed in. Uh, but somebody very important to me and very close to me in my life is a very, very devout Catholic. She went to Catholic school. Her children went to Catholic school. You know, those kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. and she's talked to me about her Catholic faith. So I've become quite interested. I have started reading the Catechism of the Catholic Faith which was published in, I believe, 1995, the most recent catechism, about 150 pages into a 750-page book. And I am very empirical. I was trained as a scientist. Um, I am uh, just, you know, as as sort of data-driven as anyone I know. And I can tell you in the first 150 pages, so many more things make sense to me now. The things that I used to think and this is what I heard you folks talking about was, oh, that sounds crazy or that sounds impossible or incredibly improbable. Mm-hmm. It is so well footnoted and so well sort of documented that it's just amazing how, oh, now I get it. Now I understand why this is done. Now I understand how this happened. Now I understand how this was done. So I guess that's... Yeah, no, that makes... that Thanks. makes. Oh, sorry, do we lose it? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm still here. But I wonder, are there other, are there other documents on sort of the Protestant side of the aisle that would be similar to that? That people who were looking for answers as to why things maybe don't make sense to them or seem difficult to explain would be presented in a very cogent and cohesive fashion. So thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, that's a. That's something I'd have to think about a little. Um, we actually just finished a series in our churches. It's uh, The title of the series was The Most Read Book in the Bible, Can You Trust It? Because I think the Bible, if you look it up now, is, has been printed and reproduced and sold something like five billion times in the history since the printing press. So uh, obviously a, that's where we start. Uh, but the series, I'm just trying to think as we would walk through that series, are there one particular book that anyone would rely on? I mean, if you want to go to... Uh, kind of an all-around thesis on why Protestant theology is what it is. I, I would recommend the different kinds of systematic theologies that exist. Uh, back when I was in seminary, and I think it's still quite a popular one, there was a systematic theology written by a gentleman named Millard Erickson, and it would ultimately walk you through every piece of theology proper. Who is God? What are angels and demons? What is the afterlife? What is salvation? What is So it's a very systematic approach and, of course, a well-documented approach to everything uh, the Christian might believe theologically. I think what I appreciate about some of those as well is they will tend to say there are areas we don't necessarily entirely understand, but here are the varying viewpoints on this particular bit of theology and why the writer of that book would rest where they did. Mm-hmm. So I think a systematic theology, if you're really 
and I, and I say that with a bit of a word of caution, but I think I heard the caller say I'm very empirical and I was, you know, I have a scientific background. I, I wouldn't shy away from a theology textbook. Very good. Thank you. Well, that's, again, I was very surprised starting to read, you know, essentially the catechism because I did not realize essentially, again, how much of this really had been researched by you know, obviously sure. St. Thomas Aquinas and Augustine and so on. I mean, these these are people that you know, we've read in our Western cultural traditions classes. Sure. And where all this comes from is really documented well. So it's, it's been very, uh, to, to put in air quotes, enlightening for me. Very good. So, Thanks. Appreciate thank that. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate the call. All right. When we come back, we'll continue to ask, and I'd love to get your thoughts, your text messages on this. If you used to attend church and then stopped... Why? What has the church done or what things have you experienced in the church that are maybe a little bit not so positive and maybe have driven people out of churches? That's up after the newsroom with Doug Barrett, which is up right now. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079 1033 FM 938 18 above on our way to a daytime high of 34. According to new BRNA research, 77% of people believe in God or a higher power, and 70% of Americans would like to grow spiritually. That statistic bears repeating. 74% of Americans would like to grow spiritually. Obviously, that includes a swath of people. Who don't attend church. So our question to you at 775-5559, if you don't attend church, why? Why did you stop? Or why have why did you never start? Is there is it because, you know, hey, I don't believe in God, so I don't really see a point in going? Or is has something happened that caused you to change your habits? Now, Text Messenger has this to say, Mason. Sure. I have a relative who doesn't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. My answer is, duh, isn't that a significant part of it all? That's really astute. Uh, the church is, um, by design, full of hypocrites. And here's why I say that. Mm. Uh, Jesus, I think, himself said, I, de- I came for the sick, not the healthy. It's, it's not healthy people who need a doctor. Mm. And consequently, or, or in a related way, it's not people who are without sin that need Jesus. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, if people are looking for Jesus and, and pursuing the hope that he has promised, mm-hmm. they may well end up in a church that proclaims that message which by definition means the church is absolutely full of an entire group of broken people, people with sin in their lives, people who are resentful and angry, people who have been hurt badly and are looking for something other than what they've experienced outside of a, of a relationship with Jesus. So, in fact, this Sunday I get to preach about this very topic, where I will stand in front of a room and say, the only question here is how open will we be about our brokenness? And I wonder when people say, and this is a question for me, but I wonder if people say, I don't want to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites. It's not that they are upset that the church is full of people who are less than perfect, because that's true of every church and always will be. It's that it might be full of people who don't admit that they're less than perfect. So the challenge ultimately I'm going to lay out before the church that I'm preaching at this weekend at at Hope Church is 
is this challenge of are you willing to be honest and open and transparent about just exactly how broken you are? I'm, this is a theory for me. It's a pure hypothesis. But I wonder if the fact that Christians so often haven't been perceived as being honest about how broken they are is one of the reasons people stay away. Like if I can't, you know, I, I yeah. see how broken I am. And if I'm going into a building where I think everyone's pretending they have it together, I want nothing to do with it. And if that's an obstacle, you know, honesty is the best way to overcome that one. 775-5559. If you haven't attended church or you stopped attending, why? 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, watched my daughter, who was a pastor, online instead of driving away there, and I watched it online. And, you know, I get the same message as the people sitting in the pew, but it's, it's not the fellowship. Right. You know, and it's okay to sit in my underwear and watch church. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we don't send, spend a lot of time in our underwear at most churches. No, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it is good. And, you know, I hate to say it, but in, in now with our woke, crazy world, uh, even if we're 90% Christian, it's the 10% that rule. And I don't know why we should let them. Yeah, I'm not sure what you, exactly you mean by that last comment, but but let me just... Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, well as, long, as soon as like you're in school and you talk about religion or you talk about this and, you know, oh, we can't talk about religion. Why can't we? We talk about the weather. And that, you know, affects our day, our life every day. We should be able to, you know, be religious, believe in religion. If you go to school and you believe about Democrats, you can do that. If you go to school and talk about Repu- Republicans, oh, we can't do that. So this world is kind of crazy that way. It's uh, the minority likes to rule, not majority. Yes, yeah, theoretically, and this is kind of a, a philosophical understanding the way that I have uh, in the pursuit of tolerance. We've kind of flipped the meaning of the word tolerance on its head. Uh, tolerance used to mean you can think what you want, I can think what I want, we can disagree and put up with each other. Mm. Uh, tolerance seems to have become, here's a set of ideas that you need to agree with, and if you don't agree with those ideas, you are labeled as intolerant, which <laughs> it's actually, by dictionary definition, is exactly opposite of what tolerance means. So we are in a very, we are a very difficult time in our, in our culture where conversations uh-huh. are not really, it seems to me, are not well-intentioned conversations. We, we are not open to having conversations that challenge our viewpoints mm. um, without being threatened or threatening in response. But back to what you said a little bit earlier, and, and you actually said it, uh, I watch online, which isn't the same as being there. And, yeah. and there's a truth to that. You get the same information, but what you don't get is the experience of rubbing elbows with people who are are in the same spot, looking for hope, trying to figure life out, clinging to Jesus or investigating Jesus or or, or exploring whether Jesus is real and the church has something to offer. And that is a significant part. And this is my belief about how we were built, how we were wired. We were not wired to exist uh, by ourselves. And isn't it, oh, I'm going to say this. I hope I'm right. Isn't it the John Donne poem that says, when the bell tolls, or do not ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. It's this idea that whatever happens to my community ultimately happens to me. Mm. And it's a reflection of this idea that I don't exist as an island. I am not an individual that can live in isolation and be healthy. I need a community. And so that is one of the challenges we experience as a church right now. COVID, more than anything else, has really forced us to be technologically savvy. How to get those worship services out there, how to get the yeah. sermons out there, how to get that worship out there. What we can't do online 
is experience a room full of people yes. who are wrestling, who are crying, who are frustrated, who are talking, who are discussing, who are interacting. You can't duplicate that online. And that's a really important part of, you know, the question earlier was, what is the church? Well, the church is a community of people mm-hmm. that isn't a community if we all do it in isolation. And so there, I feel like there's just this open in, uh, invitation to say, awesome that we're learning, awesome that we're reading, awesome that we're studying and listening to good sermons. But, but man, we need that community. Mm-hmm. And, and to find a place where you feel welcome wherever you are at in life is, is a treasure. Text messenger says at 775-5559, the church that I went to as a kid was nice enough. People were nice. Sunday school confirmation was well organized. Pastoral staff was okay. The message just felt a bit off. Then they started asking for more and more money. And I quit going after I graduated high school. I don't think my parents go very often anymore. Interesting. And I can't, you know, as always, I can't speak to someone's experience and what that church was like and so on. But it, it feels like there's this we're caught up a little between churches want to bring Jesus and the hope that Jesus gives to a group of people who then embody that hope and, and share it with their community outside that church. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this organizational reality that says, if we're going to do this well, we have to organize ourselves. There has sure. to be an institution. I would say, you know, where I minister as a pastor, there's a large group of people, and we say this repeatedly, we're going to ask for an offering on Sunday mornings. That's that's just a reality of, hey, we, we need to be have able to, to function. function. So we're going to ask for that offering. But I will promise you, if you come into our church and you've never been there, you're going to hear these words every time. If you're a guest here, or you're just exploring Jesus, or you're just investigating what the church is, and you don't even... We are so thrilled that you are here this morning. Sit back and relax. This whole offering thing isn't about you. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not your concern. It's an invitation to to a smaller group of people who have really made it their commitment to invest in this institution and help fund it financially and keep this going. Right. But that is not the purpose. It's a moment in a Sunday service. That is not the purpose of the service, but we do pause for a second to say, hey, those of you that had invested here, call this your home and are really interested in keeping this work going. We'd love to you know, take a moment to receive your offerings. Mm-hmm. The rest of you, we're so thrilled. We're so thrilled you're here to investigate Jesus. So our question at 775-5559, if you don't attend church or if you stopped attending church, why? What has the church done or what experiences have you had with the church? Now, a text message says this, I don't like being around people. I go occasionally, but I found cliques, drama, and a few Pharisees. (laughs) Yes. So that is the downside to being around people. Mm -hmm. Cliques, drama, hypocrisy, brokenness, bad intentions. Uh, find me a community where that doesn't exist. In or outside church. In or outside the church and uh, bottle it up and you will, you know, you'll do very, very well. <clears throat> what I what I will continue to say about the church, and I will I'll use the word the ideal church. Mm. And and that's a challenge, right? Because a bunch of broken people coming together to <laughs> invite Jesus to change their lives. Far from ideal. That's not an ideal thing. That's a bunch of broken people worshiping Jesus going, I'm a mess, but I believe there's something about you, Jesus, that can change that. Now, I there are different kinds of people. Yeah. Uh, I don't like being around people. I get that. People need to withdraw and, and, and spend some time alone too. Although uh, I'm not the expert because I tend to lean towards, I like being around people, then I try to remove myself from people. That's my own personality type. Mm-hmm. 
But even for those that don't love being around people, I still believe we're wired to function best together. Mm-hmm. So there's there's got to be something that that a more introverted person can plug into that gives them the strength of community uh, in a church. 775-5559. Another text messenger says, the self-righteousness drove me out. Another text messenger says, how do you reconcile some of the horrific things the Bible says about slavery and stonings for various reasons? Two questions. Mm -hmm. Self-righteousness, I don't have an explanation for it except to say where there are humans, Mm -hmm. there are problems. And I'll just keep going back to that. If we see church as a bunch of people who have perfected living right, we have a wrong idea about church. I keep going back to this. Church is a group of people who are at least investigating Jesus and mm. some who have already come to discover that he is real and he's, what he says about himself is true and have invited them into their lives to change that which is broken. But that is not a light switch. You know, I come to Jesus. I don't have all of life figured out. All I've done is said, I can't figure it out on my own. So I'll spend the rest of my life letting Jesus change me. So again, I come back to that. Are there self-righteous people in church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the cynical part of me says, hallelujah, a bunch of hypocrites are going to church. Maybe they'll find Jesus and change. Um, so that, yeah, broken people trying to find Jesus. That That is the reality. And I've talked so long about self-righteousness. I forgot the second part of that question. The uh, second part of that question was... Uh, How do you reconcile some of the horrific things in the Bible? Big question. Mm -hmm. Probably a longer answer than a short bit. Um, One of the assumptions that I think need to be pulled out is that if the Bible talks about horrific things, Mm -hmm. by necessity, that means that God approved of those things. And and we can go back and say, yeah, but God ordered this and God ordered this. And that's a way bigger question about evil and why does evil exist and why does not God quash out all of the evil? Mm -hmm. And I don't have a perfect answer to all of those questions. Uh, But I will say that the Bible is actually, I'll call it a messy book. Uh It doesn't pull any punches. And I, the way that I read through some of those passages and, and those times is I look at just exactly how ugly the human spirit becomes uh, when not connected to the hope of Jesus. And I start understanding that, that the Bible is a story about trying to, to heal that kind of behavior and heal that kind of response. And ultimately, if you look at what we celebrate here at Easter, we celebrate that all of that evil was done to God himself as Jesus hung on the cross and experienced the brunt of all that evil, violent behavior, and then said, it is finished. Now I'm offering you something different. And I kind of read it through that lens. On the way, we're going to ask the question about the difference between spirituality and religion. Are they the same or are they different? We'll continue with what has been your experience with churches. And later we'll ask, do you believe that churches rank order sin? And does that play into your reason to participate or not participate in church? All that when we come back. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. News Radio 1310 KNOX 1079 1033 FM 958 775 5559. The number to join the program. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Good morning. Hey there. Um, 
you know, something that kind of bothers me is when these people will say, well, why, uh, if there's a God, does he allow, you know, this and this and this and this? Certain things I cannot understand, like, you know, a child dying of cancer at six years old or something. But you remember that great documentary film, Morgan Freeman and um, Jim Carrey, it was called Bruce Almighty? Yes. Yeah. Great documentary. documentary. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call it what you uh, will. One, one thing that sticks out to me in that show, and you can tell me I'm crazy as a loon, but in his instructions when he was having uh, Jim Carrey take over for him for a while, uh you know, do's and don'ts and all this kind of stuff, but you can't change free will was one of the rules. Yeah. So, so, so people will say, you know, why does some, why does God allow somebody to go out and kill 20 people with a gun? Or why did he allow 6 million Jews to be slaughtered by Hitler? And no, think it, it just kind of comes back to me and maybe I'm oversimplifying and maybe I'm, like I say, crazy as a loon. But that single little statement seems to say an awful lot to me about free will i completely agree i appreciate the call mason can you stick around for another segment i'd be happy to all right abc news on the way followed by local news headlines out of the knox newsroom this is critical thought on knox Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning. It is 10.06 and 21 out as we make our way to a daytime high of 34. My name is Noah Chlai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you. We are talking about churches and research that shows that churches are closing in rapid numbers across the U.S. Researchers now say that as congregations dwindle across the country and a younger generations of Americans abandon Christianity altogether, even as faith continues to dominate American politics. Now, this is in contrast with the fact that Americans are spiritually open. According to research, 77% of people believe in God or a higher power, and 74% of Americans would like to grow spiritually. So that statistic of 74% of Americans wanting to grow spiritually obviously includes a swath of people who don't attend church. So our question to you at 775-5559, have you ever felt that church was judgmental towards you? Quote, some other answers were less logistical. For example, one of the top answers was church members seem judgmental or hypocritical. And so that's our conversation today. And I want to kick it off by talking about a personal story. So one of my family members, I actually have a a really close um, tie to this insofar as I had a family member who was brought up in church and I'm sure it was nothing but the best of intentions, but they wanted to thank the families who gave money to the church. So oh, sure. as a way to do that, they posted a list of the families that gave and then the amounts that they gave. Well, my family member uh, grew up very, very poor. And so their family was not really in a position to give to the church. Wow. And so week after week, as he would go in there and watch his mother, you know, very shamefully walk past the the sheet and kind sure. of avoid the door and those kinds of things after a certain amount of glances and a certain amount of comments and they just stopped going, you know, and then it turned him off for the rest of his life 
to Christianity because of the way that he and his family were treated. And at a young age, it made an impression on him. And so I think churches have a job to balance biblical truth with love or grace, as you might say, and uh, this idea of undeserved kindness. And I think that increasingly they're coming into clash with culture. And so when something holds to a biblical truth, but it isn't culturally acceptable, Pastor Mason Peters is here from Hope Church to help us kind of unpack this. Uh, Pastor, how do you square when you come across something that is biblically true and yet not culturally accepted? You know, as I think about this, it seems to me like the church is actually reflecting its culture, but not in the way you might think. We actually, in the previous hour, this was talked about a little bit, right? We've seemed to have arrived in our culture where we can't have an openness, open and honest conversation without fearing being judged or attacked, or or I can't have an opinion that differs from your opinion without you coming back at me and and calling me some derogatory name or, or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. so I truly long, and I, and I think it's healthier, just speaking from a cultural and societal level, I think it's healthier when a culture says we don't all agree, we can agree to disagree. You espouse your opinion and say, look, I, this is what I believe wholeheartedly. I think you're wrong. I think I'm right. If I thought you were right and I was wrong, I'd change my mind. But for now, I'm trying to, <laughs> well, right? But right now, I'm trying to change your mind. And then you get your turn to try and change my mind. Uh-huh. And we may agree. We might say, look, I was wrong. You're right. Or you were wrong. I'm right. But we may also just say, okay, we're wrong or we disagree. So let's go out to dinner. Like, I think that's a really healthy exchange. And I think, and, and this is my own theory, but it feels like the church has actually been swayed by its culture in the sense that they are struggling, that the Christian community seems to be struggling with this idea that you can do both truth and grace at the same time. Mm. And it seems like very often churches will tip one way or the other. We believe in the grace of Jesus Christ, and therefore we can't say anything is wrong. We can't ostracize anybody. We can't, we can't declare any kind of activity or character immoral because we just want to do grace. And they sacrifice truth for grace. On the flip side, it seems there are many churches that say, we don't care anymore about grace. This is a time when the truth is being challenged, so we're going to stand firmly on the truth. And we don't care who we offend. We don't care how we treat people as long as the truth is spoken. And I think we've missed the mark in both cases. A hundred percent. Jesus always perfectly demonstrated truth Mm -hmm. and grace at the same time. Just not an easy line to walk. It's an unbelievable challenge. And I think our culture is making it more difficult. So, so the question is, and I don't necessarily have the answer in the moment, not in this moment, but in any given moment, how do you exactly do truth and grace? Well, as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to invite God presence in my heart. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to just help me understand, okay, what do we need here? Do we need more truth? Do we need more grace? Or how do I say, you know, I would say this from the podium, from the platform in church, any given Sunday, you are welcome here. It doesn't mean I agree with everything that you stand for. It doesn't mean I'll necessarily agree with everything you represent. And it doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything you hear from this platform. But stick with us. Let's do this journey together. Let's walk with each other as we both hopefully journey towards the truth together. hundred percent. So our question at 775-5559, if you're just joining us, Pastor Mason Peters from Hope Church joins us and we're talking about the decline of churches in America. Why is that? If you go to church, uh, why do you attend church? But if more importantly, if you don't go to church, if you're not involved with the church or if you've gone in the past, but you're not going, 
what changed? What happened? What was your experience? I would love to hear it at 775-5559. Now, text messenger says this. I quit going to church because it turned much more into a how much money can you give to support all the church's programs and trips? Also, they started charging for everything that everything and then they used to. Now they even charge for a baptism. Let me write that down. This sounds like no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> never never occurred hey, to Paul, me. Paul, I have a budgetary idea. <laughs> New revenue. Shortfall on budget. Great. I got a lot of baptisms lined up. No, that that does sound on its surface. I I'll, I won't claim that I understand it or, or know it to be true or accurate or whatever, but that does sound awful on its surface. So another question might be at seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. What do you think the average person when they're walking into a church, particularly if they don't have a relationship with God, what do you think that their first thought or their impressions are as they're sitting in a church? A text messenger says this: being preached to by child molesters has pushed me away from the Catholic Church. Again, I mean, you tell me what you think about this, Pastor, but my impression has always been you're going to have people that struggle with sexual sin and both inside and outside of the church. So are there pedophiles inside of the church? A hundred percent. Are there pedophiles in your local mall? Yep. Are there pedophiles in your local and then name the group of people? Right, right. The answer is yes. I mean, there's predators all over the place. There are predators all over the place. And I would say that if. I'll make a fairly strong statement about that. Mm -hmm. Um, If those predators are discovered in church leadership, they need to be removed from that position of leadership. Mm. And again, I don't even say that in a way as we want to destroy those people, but there's a very serious spiritual health problem then Mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed and they need to get healthy. And, and so they cannot be in a, in a position of leadership at that level and have that kind of sin in their lives. So there's certainly a, um, I am so sorry that anybody would ever be in a church and you know be a victim of that kind of abuse uh, from someone that they were taught should be trusted, that was going to bring them towards grace and love and truth, and then destroyed that relationship with that kind of behavior. So I, I just have the, the uh, my heart breaks to hear those kinds of stories. They're awful. Uh, I would just also state that if 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 that's happening, those people need to step away from that or be removed from that position of leadership. That's yeah. not the place to work out that kind of sin. Uh, that's just the bottom line there for me. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on the air with Pastor Mason Peters and myself. Good morning. Morning, guys. How are you doing this wonderful Friday? Doing great. Very good. Thanks. That's awesome. Uh, so I am a member of Generation Z. I'm a 21-year-old guy, and I would say my relationship with God is pretty good. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I hadn't gone to church ever since I was probably about I don't know, 10, 9, whatever. Um, the reason that I quit going to church and my parents quit going to church is, is for this basic reason. The same people sitting in the front pew are the same ones that are going to talk the most smack about you behind your back. Grew up not super rich, but I mean, not dirt poor, but had to work pretty damn hard for what we had. And and that's just the whole reason is, is there's this whole culture of of a two-faced facade of, oh, look at me, I'm at church, I'm donating all the money and, and whatnot, and I'm at the front row and I'm talking to the pastor uh, after the sermon, and then they go and have coffee downstairs and talk smack about the people two pews down. You, you know what I'm saying? You can experience that. Like, that's yeah. how it is really in small-town churches. But I will say, I really like Hope Church. I've been to your Easter sermon uh, like uh, a year or two ago, and it Wonderful. was really good. Yeah, thank um, you. Well, thanks yeah, for calling call. in. Yeah, for sure. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. 
Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Um, so being raised uh, Roman Catholic in the 80s and 90s, um, I personally never felt like I had to reject science to believe in God. Um, I think there's this idea that, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a false dichotomy or a false dilemma uh, between science and religion. Like, And I think a lot of young people today believe that you can only choose one or the other. Like, right, you have to choose science, you have to choose religion. And I, I think that we need to do a better job explaining that science and religion are not mutually exclusive. And I, but because I think that's why you're seeing such a mass exodus of young people. Uh, uh, before you before you take off, text messenger says humans were made in the image and likeness of God, and humans are flawed. So, is it possible that God is also flawed? Is it possible that God is also imperfect? The Bible says His way is perfect, but does it say that God Himself is perfect? God is obviously good, but He is perfect. Or is He perfect? Your thoughts? Does the Bible say that God is perfect? Uh, I don't. I mean, again, just a logical statement. If we agree that he can do nothing that is imperfect, and, and I think the statement was his ways are perfect, mm. an imperfect person cannot have perfect ways. So logically, the Bible declares absolutely that God is perfect. Um, he did make humans with the ability to choose against him. Uh, and that has been the downfall of humanity uh, right from the get-go, is that God did give humans the ability to not, you know, we live with that reality today. Uh, there's always an invitation to follow God, to believe in God, to to order your life around his ideas, but it's an invitation. And that invitation has always existed and been rejected by a great swath of humanity. Well, may I, may I ask the pastor a direct question? Sure. Please. Um, so, actually, I'll, I'll, like it's sort of a two-parter. Um, do you believe that, uh, a per, can a person believe in evolution, for example? Um, not necessarily Darwin's you know, a specific theory of evolution, but just generally evolution and still believe in God and still believe that the Bible has truth. Is that possible? You get Are those things mutually beneficial? Mutually mutually exclusive, exclusive, sure. Um, That's a great question. I I agree with your earlier statement. Science and religion are not mutually exclusive ideas. Uh, I'm not a scientist. I do have a background in science. That was kind of my college education. That was a long time ago. So I I would never claim to be a scientist. I can tell you that what I kind of settled on as I went through some of that is that this idea of microevolution, that things do change uh, gradually over time in small ways, uh, is a perfectly conceivable idea to me. Where I started pushing towards my understanding of God was when I looked at the intricacy with which... uh, uh, humans and nature operate, it it ruled out in my mind that those kinds of um, organizational structures could grow with that kind of intricacy in a way without an intelligent creator. So do things change over time? I, I believe that. Do I believe that things can change in a massive way and create um, marvelously intricate systems that function together for not only the not for chaos, but for the good of the body. Mm. I, 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 no, I, I can't square that with with some kind of chance or some kind of scientific process. I do believe that requires a, a creator. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on the air. Good morning. Thank you, and good discussion. I uh, no longer believe, and I was raised in the Catholic Church uh, and had uh, had a had a 
uh, I was actually victimized by one of the priests I'm when so I was sorry. seven years old. No, no, it's it took many years, but I'm I'm finally okay with it, except for the fact that it wasn't only the crime; it was the cover up. Mm. The cover up is worse than the crime. Absolutely, understood. I mean, these were people that didn't commit the crime, that knew about it and did nothing. And as a seven-year-old boy, I sat down and got on my knees and I prayed to God and I asked Him to make it stop. Mm. And you know what your God did? Nothing. And sometimes I think that God expects too much out of little boys. Hmm. My own. Go ahead, re saying something. No, no. I've got. It started. A, it started a process for me to actually dig into the Bible, and I've read it several times. Hmm and uh, looking for the answers and trying to gain back the faith that I used to have. Yeah. And when I started to read the Bible for myself, instead of having it interpreted sure. to me, I started to disbelieve even more Sure. because of the contradictions, and particularly what's done in the Old Testament. I've got my own beliefs as why the New Testament was written. But if you read from Exodus through Deuteronomy through Leviticus through the one that really hits me, the book of Job, where mm. God basically says that bad things happen to good men because the devil made me do it. Mm. Can you help me with that particular book? And I'll hang up and listen. Okay. I, you know, I really appreciate your call. And I, I mean, there's a lot there, you know, far more than we could probably unpack in a short bit. But I, I hope that you can hear my heart on this, what happened to you as a seven-year-old is despicable on so many levels. Uh, first of all, the person who perpetrated something like that against you, I, my heart just, uh, I, my heart weeps when I hear those kinds of stories. And sadly, we still hear them today all the time. And I'm, I'm with you. I, that's so awful. I, I don't know how to describe what I feel inside when I think about people who knew it happened and covered for that kind of behavior. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if it's, if it's mourning or rage, <laughs> but somewhere yeah. in tearful rage, maybe that's what it is. It just blows my mind. And so I appreciate you calling in and just being uh, open enough to share that kind of, that kind of hurt and that kind of pain and being vulnerable about it. I, th- I think that's meaningful uh, to the rest of us, uh, to those that can hear someone uh, be able to say, Hey, I, I'm I'm not okay with it, mm-hmm. but I have processed it to a point where I can be okay in life because a lot of people never get that far. If there's an encouragement in there, I think it would be this. Very often we experience horrible behavior at the hands of horrible people mm-hmm. and we blame God or the church or the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would stand firm saying that when horrible things happen, they happen because someone ignored the gospel and the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus, mm-hmm. not because they were following his example. And so it's a bit of a baby in the bathwater. And it's an invitation. It's, it's not a, and I'm not out there making a demand that we have to do this, but it's an invitation to say, are we throwing out something of great value because somebody who misrepresented it badly? Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Hey, Morris. Super day. How you guys doing? Hey there. Great. So uh, I just heard some things I'd like to make some comments on. First of all, religion is a man-made um, opportunity 
or attempt to justify their actions to getting into heaven. Religion is, is not a walk with God. Religion was nothing that God created. It was man created it. They threw in a bunch of junk, trying to, again, justify their actions. And because of it, we have many, many errors in the way we're executing today. Christianity is a relationship that God wants with us. The question was, you know, why, does, why did God give us free will? Well, the angels didn't, the angels don't have free will. God desires somebody to, to uh, worship him wholeheartedly. Without free will, you don't have that opportunity. We're his creation, and he wants his creation to seek and love him the way that we really should. You could liken it to a parent-child relationship. We rear these children, we provide for these children, we give them everything they want, and our expectation is they love us. But unfortunately, as is demonstrated many, many times today, um, they get swayed by the things around them, and that causes them to forsake their parents. Same thing as we do when we forsake God. And everybody has forsaken God, and, and the Bible tells us very clear on that. We, at that point, need to repent. Christ walked in the world, but Christ didn't walk as the world or of the world. And as he's walking in the world, people who sought him, desired him, wanted that relationship, came to him. And those are the ones that developed that greater relationship. He called them the disciples, and they made that choice right then and there. And they forsook everything. Now, going back to that last caller, and that is that, that sad um, he asked about Job. It was an example, as the Old Testament is to us, it was an example of what a faithful man could do in the midst of all the trials, temptations, and evils of the world. Mm. Job never forsook God. He questioned why he was born. But he sure he had a lot of questions God. about God, that's for certain. Absolutely, as we really should, because, you know, he is our father, and you know what? You know, yelling and crying out and screaming to him is something that he understands he desires. I mean, Jesus, it was beautiful. The the most beautiful, passionate section of the Bible is, you know, when when he's on his knees. And he says, you know what, God? I don't want to do this. He says, "Uh, you know, let this cup pass from me. But then he says the most beautiful words ever. He says, not my will, thy will be done. And because of it, millions of people are now saved. So when you run into those number one temptations, and I'm, I'm just like everybody else, I'm tempted every day. You have to identify them as such and rebuke them and turn away from them. And then number two, if you do sin from that temptation, understand that it was a choice you made, and at that point you must repent and turn away. The Bible tells us that there's evil in our midst. There's wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, all those that don't go to church anymore because you had silly people in church who are, who are arrogant, don't let them drive out of church. Get back into church. Because much like a lump of coals, burning coals, if you take one coal out of that lump and you put it off to the side, that one coal will burn out much faster than that whole lump will. We need each other. We need to just embrace each other, encourage one another, and lift one another up. Well, Thanks, guys. Yeah, well said. I appreciate the call. Uh We'll take the break here. We come back. I'll let you respond to that last call. And then we've got a number of text messages to get into and still a couple of calls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Critical Thought on KNOX.
News Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Welcome back. 1039, 20 out. On our way to a daytime high of 34. In the studio with me, Pastor Mason Peters. He from Hope Church joins us, and we're talking about the decline of churches. Now, a text messenger has this to say. Islam is the fastest-growing religion, and it will likely surpass Christianity in the coming years. Should Christians worry about Islam's world predominating, being the world's predominant religion? Your thoughts? You know, my first instinct is... Uh, the Bible explicitly says, do not worry. So the answer is no, we should not worry. I think God has commanded us not to. Specifically about that kind of growth of the religion of Islam. Okay. Um, I don't know that it, you know, we, I think that question is actually being asked about our culture too, about our society, about other religions and, and, their, and this seemingly, I think, the question we're addressing today, the decline of Christianity. Mm. And my answer or my response to that is I think we should do exactly what Jesus has commanded us to do right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that is to live out our lives faithfully as followers of Jesus Christ and to preach and teach the good news to a world that is looking for something beyond what they have. I can't control how that plays out. I am perfectly content letting that play out in God's hands where mm-hmm. I'm going to say, no, I'm, I want to be faithful to a task, live out my faith well, love God, and, and or, or let God love me, love him in return, yeah. you know, as the first part of it, and then to love others in Jesus' name. Mm. I am not worried. I don't like what everything I see. Yeah. But I'm not worried because I believe as I live that out, uh, I'm content leaving it in God's hands. God anticipated it anyway. In fact, Jesus so clearly said to his disciples, they, the world is going to hate you because of me. If, if the, you know, the master's not greater than the teacher, I think he said. Mm-hmm. So if it hated me, it persecuted me, it executed me for the things I say, if you're going to say them, there's going to be trouble. The world is, there's going to be some pushback. So love God, love your neighbor. Some of the other answers are not so much about logistics. One of the top answers given as to why people are leaving churches was church members seem to be judgmental or hypocritical. So our question to you at 775-5559, have you ever felt like a church was judgmental towards you? It's church's job, again, we were kind of talking about this, to balance culture uh, with truth. And so that can be a difficult line to walk. And churches, the, the thing that I would... I would point out, though, churches are only able to speak truth into somebody's lives if they first have earned the right to do so. I think what we've seen Mm. over this hour is, or the past hour or so, there's a a huge erosion of trust between the church entity and individuals. Massively. Uh, I used to do a very first short season of my life. I did sales, and it was the, you know, the the master salesman in the business I worked for kept saying, what is it? They, They don't, they don't. They don't care about what you think until they think that you care. Mm. Uh, I, I don't remember who first spoke that, but kind of sure. a common uh, moniker. And and it's this idea that says, uh, I think anytime we walk as Christians in a community, we're on a prove it trial. Yeah, <laughs> Prove that you can act. Prove that you can show me love. Prove that you actually care about me. My experience is, is that when we love people well, mm-hmm. which is something we're not used to seeing in mm-hmm. our world, we mm-hmm. do not know what it means to love people well as a general rule. Mm-hmm. When people experience being loved well, they are open to a lot more discussion and a lot more, even, not I don't want to say offensive in, a, in a, that kind of sense, but they, they're open to hearing ideas that they don't necessarily agree with because they trust the person who's speaking them. And so I agree, loving others well is absolutely paramount to any kind of message of truth being spoken. 775-5559, you're on the air. Good morning. 
Well, one of the problems in this world is nobody forgives each other. Everybody holds a grudge so long. You know, when you're supposed to turn the other cheek, you know, that was kind of like forgiven, you know. But still, in the New Testament, I think you back up and don't let them hit you again. And that's what we got to learn to do. Back up a little bit, take a letter, look at it, and see if I'm being the bad guy, he's the bad guy, and then change. But people are so set in their ways. And uh, I've seen a miracle. My aunt, in 1991, had cancer. They sent her home six weeks. She had an ulcer surgery, and she found her stomach and her liver full of cancer. They sent her home, uh, give her six weeks, and get your stuff in order. Uh, we just lost her last February, 31 years later. And my uncle was my dad's brother. Uh, my, that was my sister. Uh, in the clinic at the same time, and she spread the news that she was going to pass on, and she wouldn't see her grandkids, and he was, she was crying. And my uncle grabbed her hand and said, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. And a few years later, my uncle got cancer, and he died, and she lived. And God does work in mysterious ways. There are miracles out there. So everybody just keep praying. Don't give up. I love it. I appreciate the call. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Hey, good morning again, gentlemen. Uh, something just made me think of uh, another reason why I think that people are, are starting to leave the church in greater numbers. And I think that it's a sort of a conflation of uh, politics and religion, right, where people are sort of associating Christianity with the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it sort of almost becomes harder to distinguish between whether this person is getting their, their beliefs uh, from the Bible or whether they're getting them from some Republican politician. Um, so I, I guess I'll just throw a direct, another direct question. Is it possible to be a liberal and a Christian, or is it possible to be a Democrat and a Christian? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, Christian, automatically Republican, automatically conservative. Uh, and I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the call. Your thoughts. And actually, before you answer that, I want to throw this in the mix, too, because it's along the same lines. A text messenger writes at 775-5559 and says, My gradual separation from the mainstream religion has been as acceptance of homosexuality and LGBT. Whatever the Lord Jesus Christ came into someone's life, he would say, go and sin no more. So between that text message and the previous call, there we have it, Pastor Mason. We have, on one hand, somebody advocating for truth. And on the other hand, somebody advocating for grace and love. Hey, if I have these beliefs that aren't widely held by the church, am I still able to be a follower of Jesus Christ? So how would you balance those two things? Well, let me just comment very briefly on this. Can I be a Democrat or a Christian Mm -hmm. or a Republican, a Christian? And And I agree with the caller that says we have unnecessarily conflated issues. It might be a uniquely American problem. Okay. Uh, where, where as a Christian, I have to identify with certain political views, or at least that seems to be. Although, uh, honestly, I'm just going to admit, I am so confused by what's happening in politics right now. <laughs> I am, we all are. Right. That I honestly don't know where anything is anymore. Because I, I look at that and I go, well, who painted Christians into the corner of being Republicans? And I go, I think this might have been a nefarious act of the other party. And, and the Republicans are painting the Democrats one way and the Democrats. And I go, okay, I'm, I'm out. Just, just cut me out. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I really don't care about your political affiliation. Yeah. And that's where I'm going to stand. Uh, my scripture tells me that as uh, that I'm first and foremost a citizen of this heavenly kingdom. I love America. Um, in fact, I was a Canadian, born and raised in Canada, moved to the U.S. many, many, many years ago, became an American citizen, and mm-hmm. love this country. Mm-hmm. 
but first and foremost, and maybe that even helped me because I had to go through a process of, okay, what am I? Am I Canadian or am I American? Mm. And, and somewhere in there, I think I said, I love America, but first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I will proclaim the message of the hope of Jesus Christ above all. I don't care what your political stripes are. Let's talk about issues. Let's not talk about identities. I, and, and so that goes to that second question. Yeah. What happens when there's issues that we don't all agree on? Uh-huh. And I'm going to go back to this truth and grace thing. I would love, and I, and I believe it's true at the church I pastor at, and, I, and I'm, I'm only speak about the church I work with because I can't speak for churches I don't work with, obviously. Sure. I believe there is a place to say the doors are open. Come on in. First and foremost, we love you. You might hear some things that you don't agree with, and you might say some things to me that I don't agree with. Great. Let's have a seat. Let's talk. Let's love each other. Mm-hmm. And let's see if we can't find common ground on those issues, whatever they are, whether they're LGBTQ issues, uh, political issues, not so much, but the, but the issues that political parties stand on, whether it's abortion or sexuality mm-hmm. or economy, or whatever, I don't care. Mm. Come on in. Let's love each other. And let's see if we can't find common ground. And let's move towards the truth together. Because I'm... I learned the other day, I'm not right about everything, turns out. <laughs> so I'm on a path too. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Good morning. Hi there. Oh, is it me? That's you. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think this pastor said quite a few things that I surely agree with. Um, love, for one thing, the greatest commandment in the world, Jesus said, the first thing is to love God above all things, and secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. I really believe in that. But when he said he doesn't, here's the thing. My way of looking at it, at least, and it's only my opinion, I guess, but if you're truly living a full life, everything in your life has to do with religion and politics, both. You can't really say, well, I don't care what your politics Okay, the one thing I really wanted to say is if you, he said something about, I don't care which one you are, I just follow Jesus. But if you really are following Jesus, you just go ahead and read the Democratic platform and tell me how anybody who truly believes in Jesus and wants to follow Jesus can be a Democrat. Most of my family was Democrat at one time. I had one uncle <laughs> I used to argue all the time with his brother, my other uncle, but I could guarantee you, because he was also a follower of Jesus, there's no way he would be a Democrat today. It's not the Democratic Party of our our ancestors or whatever. Um, First of all, one thing in there they do say is, it says right in there, you cannot be pro-life and be a Democrat. It says that in there. And if you're not pro-life, how can you be a Christian? I don't, I don't see, I mean, I'm sorry. It just doesn't make any sense how you can go ahead and be anti, you know, be anti-life and then be a Christian. That doesn't make any sense. That's about all I wanted to say about it. Excellent. I appreciate the call. So, Pastor, what I take away from that is if you, again, we butt those two calls up again. So you have somebody right. saying, hey, I don't feel like my views are going to be accepted if I come into this church thing. And then a little bit later, you have a caller calling in and saying, you know, I'm sorry, I just don't understand how those people could be Christians. I think we're starting to uncover the root of the problem, aren't we? 
Well, we're, I'll be a little risky in saying this. Mm -hmm. We're watching unfold live the very thing we've been talking about this morning. I can't disagree with you. You can't disagree with me with me out painting you into corner and calling you some awful things. Yep. And so I get back to this point and I, and I'm, don't hear me to say this. I have some very strongly held beliefs and opinions about all sorts of issues. Sure. And I expect others to do the same. Mm-hmm. What we've lost is the ability to push back and forth and still love each other. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just advocating for that. I'm saying if anything, and, and I, you know, I'm looking at the same kind of news stories you are. I'm hearing the same kinds of calls you are and saying, what's people, what's keeping people away from the church? Mm-hmm. Well, part of the reason they, it seems to me, and I'm again, I'm, I'm data gathering this morning, right? Sure, like I'm sure. letting all of these calls and text message and discussions kind of inform uh, just exactly how I view this issue. But I hear a lot of, if I think a certain way, I will walk into that building and I'll get run out because I'll get labeled. And I'm, I'm kind of on the side of the things that says, stop, we love you. You're welcome here. Let's figure this out together. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's show the perseverance together. It can't be a one-sided thing, but let's show the perseverance together to, to come together and work through this. And I, um, I'm just going to be less likely to paint people with an identity and then bulldoze them out the door. I, I don't, yeah. I don't see the point of that. Labels remove nuance. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Thank you, Double Dipping, this morning. I had to respond to that call. First of all, pro-life does not just, you know, pertain to abortion. Pro-life means from birth to death. And I believe Democrats are pro-life. Pro-life means prenatal care, um, feeding the poor, um, educating the poor, um, extending, you know, grace to our neighbors across the border. Pro-life is not just a, a choice between, you know, a woman's right to choose and, and, uh, and being born. And second of all, the, the one problem I have, Pastor, with the, with the, with the belief in a, in, a, in a God is that the, the, the biggest requirement or prerequisite to heaven is to believe. Now, I follow my life, and I, I, I accept all of the teachings of the Bible in a, in a moral way. And I try to lead my life in a very moral way. Uh, these morals can be found outside the Bible. A lot of them, I argue, you know, the Bible took from civilized morality, you know, and made them their own before Jesus. Why would, why would somebody that lives their life this way, and the only hang-up he has is this belief in the supernatural, not be allowed to join the club? In the end, why? That's a very that's a really uh, challenging question, and I'm I don't know that I can answer it as directly as you'd like me to, but I will just share my own personal experience. Right, I I go back to this story where I explored the world I lived in, and I saw what I saw, and I started seeing how it came together, and it was a bit more of an intellectual discovery because of my classes and training and science and so on and so forth, and I came to this spot where I couldn't deny the existence of a creator. I just, and again, that's where I landed. I said, there is just no way that I can deny the existence of this creator. So that's where I had to start and unpack it. You know, there's still all sorts of questions. Is the creator good? Is he, is he evil? Is the creator all powerful? I, I landed on, yes, he's all powerful. 
is the is the creator exclusive? I mean, those are all sorts of nuanced questions that I think are unpacked in the scriptures. But I did have to come back to this point: is does God exist, and who is He? And and it, I don't know that you know. I feel like we're trying to answer a question further down the road, and I. And in my experience, and again, I, I'm not claiming my experience has to be the next person's, but my experience is that I had to come to this realization that I couldn't deny the existence of God, and that began the journey. That's, a, that's very well said. I appreciate your answer. I appreciate the call. All right, we'll take the last break here. We'll wrap it up in the next segment. Or, or unless, can you stick around a little bit longer? I'm available all morning. Oh, this is great. All right, still Is lots it? of text messages, still lots of calls to get to. So, well, plenty, plenty, plenty to go. We, we had our show sheet. We're not even halfway through that. All right, we'll take the break here. Continue next. This is Critical Thought. Gano X. News Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning. It is 1058 and 24. Our text messenger says it's 775-5559. Pastor said he was from Hope Church. I want to know, are the financial records of Hope Church open to all church members? I want to go, uh, yes. It seems like a strange question to me, but yes, absolutely. If you're a member of Hope Church, you not only get to see all the financial records, but ultimately you get to decide on how the budget is set. So, absolutely as a member of Hope Church. That's cool. I can tell you that is not the policy at all churches. And maybe that's where the question is coming from. Yeah. I'm not sure. All right. ABC News on the way, followed by local news headlines out of the KNOX newsroom, and then Pastor Mason and I will continue next. This is Critical Thought KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. It is 11.06 and 24 out in the studio with me. Special guest Mason Peters, a pastor from Hope Church. And we're talking about churches closing in record numbers, scaling down. And why is that? My question to you at 775-5559, do you believe that churches rank order sin? In other words, they say this sin is worse than that sin. And Mason, again, this is one of those things where I have some personal connections to in I have, you might say I have strong views on some of this stuff, right? Okay. So one of the things that I, I have seen over and over, and I just kind of shake my head, is this idea of sexual sin, right? Okay. So if you are somebody that struggles with sexual sin, the least inviting place to be is in a church. And I'll just say that out loud. And I okay. think that most people that are involved with churches probably would say, yep, I agree. You know, and okay. so and what, what what we end up doing is we 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 send this message of, you know, like, hey, boys go with the boys. The girls go with the girls. You stand over here and never you shall meet. And I had a good friend of mine, very strong follower of Christ. And she sure. said to me, she said, uh, one of the things that really bothers me about it is 
how am I supposed to meet a Christian guy if I'm told that the only way to stay sexually pure is to stay, you know, only with women and guys with guys? You know what that means that I run into guys sure. at the bar sure. because I can't run into them. At that's church. the only place you'll interact. It, exactly. And then I add that. I, so I take that and I kind of park that in my head for a second. Sure. And then I look at the way that we treat adolescents growing up and the way that we treat pornography. It is now available on every smartphone, on every laptop, and yep. we can assume that every male child has one. Yeah. So you're probably looking at, and I don't know, 70, 80 percent of teens that are engaging in that to some degree. Right. If they're not willing and able to come forward and say, hey, uh, this is what I'm doing and be honest and upfront, then we have no ability to speak into their lives. So my question again, 775-5559, do you believe that churches rank order sins? Do you think that when you go into a church that, hey, these things are acceptable, these things aren't? Your thoughts, 775-5559, you're on KNOX, good morning. Well, I've missed probably part of this conversation today because I had work meetings and other things to attend, but... um. I guess where I'm at with it is, so I grew up with church kind of being shoved down my throat for a long part of my life. Um, I had, you know, a mother who was involved in ladies' aid, and she taught Sunday school, and I think at one time was involved in lay ministry and all the rest of that stuff. So, you know, when you have parents who are that involved in the church, you go to church all the time. Um, Baptized, confirmed. All the rest of the stuff. When I got to college, I, you know, I didn't go to church. Um, when I had my kids, um, I had my daughter. I made sure that I had her baptized, confirmed, um, all the rest of the stuff. My son has been baptized, all that stuff. My husband and I do not go to church. Um, I'm Lutheran by um, all standards. My husband is Presbyterian or Methodist, actually. Um, anyway, so neither one of us, though, um, he believes kind kind of the same way I do, which is the thought that we can live our lives um, with, you know, the way that we you know, need to live them according to morals or whatever that we carry, but we don't have to go to church to believe in God. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people that believe that and you know, going to church, yeah, it's not for everybody. And, you know, yeah, it's great to take that time on Sunday and to go share that with people and to go have that. But also at the same time, I don't really think that that's a needed um, part part of the concept. And I think the other part of it that kind of um, drives me crazy about it is oftentimes the people that try to shove church down people's throats are the people that are out there doing things on Friday and Saturday nights and preaching about how good they are the next week and telling mm. you how awful you are for what you did. Your thoughts, Pastor? Uh, that's a common theme we're hearing, right? This idea of hypocrisy that says, listen, I'm a holy, holy person. I do all the things, but when you actually see me behind the scenes, you see a completely different character. And um, that actually goes to a challenge I'm going to be, I think, speaking about this Sunday at Hope Church, and that is this idea that says you're not fooling anybody, so why not be vulnerable and transparent? If you look at some of the poor choice of words, but one of the the most famous people of the Bible, pick your names. Every one of them had tremendous brokenness and failure in their lives, mm. and yet God used them for great things. The difference with many of them is they all came to a point where they owned their failure. 
They mm-hmm. owned their mistakes. They owned their hurt. And they said, I am a failure. The result is that I do need God. And at that moment, God was able to start using them in completely different ways. And so uh, I think that's a that's a common theme. I, I hear a lot, and I've heard it this morning a number of times. I have God. I believe in God. I do things right. I don't need people. And I find that a challenging premise. Okay. Uh, I understand when we say I don't like people because people are messy and relationships are difficult and community is tough. I, I tend to lean into this idea that says uh, we can't do life fully without people. We are wired for community. And I'm going to go back to that. We are wired for community. Mm-hmm. Can we get through life without it? Yes. But I keep finding myself going, yeah, you can get through, but wouldn't it be amazing if you had a group of people that you loved, that loved you, that you were on mission with, that you could go through life with? It's it's a question of why settle when something could be so much greater. And that's kind of where I sit when I think about my church community. These are people that love me despite myself, and that's saying something, <laughs> that I have the opportunity to love in return, and we get to do life together on mission with something um, w- w- and the mission is essentially what we've already talked about to be yeah. loved by God, love him in return and love others in Jesus name. And to be able to do that together is so rich and so rewarding when you find a group of people that love you that way. Uh, I kind of just set the bar there and say, but wouldn't that be cool? So if we set the bar there, I want to, I want to circle back to that in a little bit, but setting the bar there means that if you're not experiencing that in church, then it's, the church unable to fulfill the bar, not necessarily that the bar is in the wrong place, that bar of you should be able to walk in and feel loved. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Great topic, huge topic. You could talk for days on, you know, any one of these questions. Feels that way, So we're learning. (laughs) But, you know, the thing about it is, I, I guess I have to boil things down. You know, I'm kind of one of those people that like to get down to the nub of things. And in my mind, you know, this whole walk with the Lord is a simple thing, but it is not an easy thing. Mm. And it is it is simple in that if you look at Jesus' first command was love uh, thy God before all others. The first commandment, the first of Jesus is, you know, in treatments to the Pharisees, right? Mm-hmm. And it, what do we have in our world as idols? Um, I mean, is it our car? Is it our home? Is it our status? Is it our clothes? Is it, our... it seems like I live in a culture where the world of, of man, the world of constructs and rules and, and status markers and, and, you know, artificial goals is the idol of most people. And that is, you know, I guess that is primary to me. What is your, who is your idol? What is your idol? I choose to idolize the Lord. Um, I, every decision, I'm either walking towards him or I'm walking away from him. And it's down to just even what I might say to somebody. Yeah. Do I repent? Yes, every day. <laughs> every day I do. I do a reflection at the end of the day on how I could have been better. Um, but to, we are, we've been told that the snares of the world are here waiting for us. It's like a lion in the bushes waiting for us. And, and if we are not, um, consciously making a decision to keep the Lord as our primary focus, um, then then we are being ensnared. 
this problem with big churches and, and formalized religion for me is that man is frail and power, money, status, prestige um, are, are such a luring. They're so, they are so entrapping and they're such a lure to the man of this world, the man that walks this earth. And that is not what Jesus was. Mm-hmm. He wanted nothing of any of those things. Um, and so for me, I think, I think that the temptation of the world in a formalized large church with a hierarchy and religious, religiosity and dogma and people arguing fine points of this and, and, you know, theology of that. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's egotistical. I think it's off the point. I mean, if I was going to be, I would probably be a zealot or an Essene. I wouldn't be a Sadducee and I would not be a Pharisee if I was going to, or a Nazarene. I don't know. Um, but I think that it's been complexified more for the um, edification of man than it has been for the edification of the Lord. But that's just me. I appreciate the call. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Oh, uh, yeah, is that me, Noah? That's you, sir. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the things I find very ironic about organized religion is if you look at some of the major religions uh, around the world and you look at their leadership and how they castigate homosexuality and uh, cross-dressing and transgender and and that. And then you look at their leadership and you look at their attire and most of them would make a drag queen cringe at the way they present themselves <laughs> to their congregation. No idea what's happening right now. Well, here's I'm what kidding. he's saying. Here's what he's saying. You're, you're, I think the point is really good. You're, what you're saying is, oh. if you're talking about if you're talking about objectionable fashion, who is in a better place sure, to sure. be able to do that? If I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, no, just look at the dress of the Greek the Orthodox hierarchy, sure. the Roman okay, Catholic sure. hierarchy, the Islamic hierarchy. I mean, they would make a drag queen cringe in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, I see what you're saying. And and you want young people to be emulating them. I mean, it, it's just another hypocrisy of organized religion. I appreciate the call. So 775-5559, so the question becomes then, if if we're, do we need church to be able, do we need a building, do we need an organized religion in order to have a relationship with God? So that's multiple questions. Do we need a building? No. Okay. We need a community of believers that gather together. That's the church. Okay. So no, we don't need a building. Do we need organization? Actually, just this week, we have this at-the-table event on Wednesday nights where it's it's an open discussion. We're studying the book of 1 Corinthians with 30, 40, 50, 60 people, and we mm-hmm. sit at tables, discuss it, unpack it. And and there is this idea that the passage this week was orderly worship. Do we need organization? Well, yeah, just so it's not a free-for-all, there has to be some kind of organizational principles. So mm-hmm. we say, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do this in this order, or we're going to have these kinds of um, uh, op- not offices, informally offices or, or roles for people to play so, yeah. so that there's an orderly way to gather. 
But do we need a building or an institution to be church? No, we need each other and the gospel of Jesus Christ to yeah. be church, however that looks. In America today, they they've often have buildings, which is a great convenience. Uh-huh. But like I think it was the previous caller, but there are also all sorts of reasons that organized religion becomes a form of idolatry. When our building becomes more important than loving the people that come through the doors, yes. we've missed the mark. 100%. We are no longer a church. 775-5559, you're on the air with Pastor Mason Peters. Good morning. That's you, Super Dave. Hey, sorry, I didn't hear the, the switch. <laughs> okay, there, there we go. Now I can talk. All right, hey, so, you know, going back to the question, you know, you said, why are the churches failing? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring up some good points on why they're failing. God tells us to be separate from the world. And the church today, the religious body, is looking a whole heck of a lot like the world, accepting things that God in the Bible is very explicit in saying are an abomination. Right, so that brings us to that would bring us to uh, you know to uh, Romans uh, chapter one, where he talks about those abominations specifically. He tells us not to take pleasure in those that do them. Uh, actually, he tells us that there are those among us who know the judgment of God. They commit these things, and not only do they commit them, but they have pleasure in others that commit them. We have these sins out there that people are committing, and instead of condemning them as sins and identifying in love that if they don't repent of those sins, they're going to go to hell. We want to kind of sway them and say, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, uh, God loves you. And that's really not the fact. So that brings into, into case, you know, Jeremiah chapter 23. It says, Woe be to the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, that's the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, said the Lord. And so you have two failures. You have the failure of the leadership in the church, and I'm going to say the church, not the religion, but in the church. Mm-hmm. And then you, have the, then you have the failures of the people in the church because they're not being led effectively. If I don't know I'm in sin, and this is, this is like, you know a guy's drunk, or you know a guy's uh, uh, addicted to drugs, or addicted to porn, or whatever, and you don't say anything to them, you are condemning that soul. Mm. The Bible tells us we need to speak these words, because we're going to be held accountable for what we say, and we're going to be held accountable for what we don't say. Because so truth is subjective. Sir, yes, truth is not subjective. No matter how we feel about it, there is there is a truth, and that truth that we've been following for millennial is the Word of God. So we've got to get back to that, the hard truth. In love, but the hard truth. I love it. I appreciate the call. All right, we're going to take the break here. When we come back, I'm going to ask Mason Peters about abortion. Can you be an abortion advocate and truly be a Christian? number of text messages talking about this and standing up for something that is right. All of that up next. News Radio 1310 KNOX.
Radio, 1310 KNOX, 107.9, 103.3 FM. Welcome back, 1126.24 out on our way to a daytime high of 34. We're talking about the decline of churches. Your thoughts, your comments, your questions are welcome at 775-5559. Here to join me to break down the issue is Pastor Mason Peters from Hope Church. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Yes, good morning. See, I think your premise is wrong. Okay. I don't see a lot of churches closing in Grand Forks. Actually, the Christian school is trying to expand into the mall in Grand Forks. That's and true. the virus caused people to you know, watch and listen to church at services at home, which I still do. Mm-hmm. You know, we closed, uh, far, as far as abortion, we closed the only abortion center down in Grand Forks. It was on University Avenue. So I think Grand Forks has made remarkable progress, and um, I don't see any churches being built, but they're they're expanding, but I don't see any churches that are closed. I'll hang up and listen. Well, Thanks. so if you don't mind, do you see that view being representative of the rest of the country, or is that unique to this area? I don't know. There's a revival going on in Kentucky for the past several weeks. I think there's a revival of uh, you know, worshiping and church and so forth across the whole country. I appreciate the call. 775-5559, the number to join us. You can call or, sep- or, or text that same number. Email us live at knoxradio.com. So we've heard from a number of people, Pastor, that say, you know, I'm listening from home. I watch from home. I do that from home. Do we need a a body to go to do we need a do we have to go worship with other people in order to have a relationship with god or is that something that hey if you can get the message online and you know watch on facebook or watch on youtube it's good enough that's a question we wrestle with as a church quite a bit and again i think the pandemic has really shifted uh people away from in-person uh church services right they mm-hmm. get, we we all got much better at offering these kind of services in in home and i think lots of churches around the country are trying to answer that question do we do we just go with it and just say well this is the new way or do we need to keep working at ways to bring people in i, I will say something i've said three or four times today and mm-hmm. and one additional piece I do believe we were built for community. Mm-hmm. I do believe if we set the bar higher and people experience what loving community feels like, what it does in their lives, how mm-hmm. it affects their growth and their spiritual, um, uh, their, their spiritual growth, I think they will desire that greater than the other than anything else. Uh, I think that's healthy. I think that's the way we were built by God to crave that kind of community. I will also say this: um, my own experience of being in a building where hundreds of people or dozens of people or thousands of people, however big your church is, where people are genuinely worshiping Jesus Christ is an experience that cannot be replicated online. And so, again, I think the bar of community is high and should be encouraged. Text message asks at 775-5559, can you be an abortion advocate and truly be a Christian? I'm going to admit a little transparent. I'm going to be a little transparent on this one. Mm -hmm. I have a pretty solid opinion on this topic. And because I live in the society I do, I'm afraid to talk about it. Like that's the feelings that stir up when these kinds of things come up, right? Because I go, oh, here's one of those where half the people are going to be one way, half are going to be the other way. And we're going to assume the other ones are just awful people. Yeah. And so I'm going to almost, I'll share some of my thoughts on it with a bit of trepidation. Sure. And, and I am just you being real. I'm going to be real. And and let it sit there. I do believe, 
And this is a faith-based position that God is already forming children in their womb and that there is a, there's a reason to believe that an unborn child is a life that is worthy of being protected and honored as a creation of God. Mm-hmm. So someone, I, so I'll just, I mean, I'm just kind of betraying what goes on in my mind. Someone mm-hmm. is going to say, well, I don't really care what the Bible says. I don't, you know, I don't ascribe to, I don't subscribe to Christian values. So so I go, wonder if I could make this argument about protecting life outside of a Christian value. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a strong case that could be made that says, when does, you know, we used to, we don't ask it very often anymore. When does life begin? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer that I've heard every scientific community come up with and every advocate one way or the other come up with, if they're honest, is we really don't know. Sure. I really can't decide that, well, at this moment or this moment, if you're a pro-life advocate, you're going to push towards early if you're if you're a pro-choice advocate, you're going to push to much more late, much later. Mm-hmm. But nobody, we don't. In other words, we don't know, right? So I always think about you know. In high school, I went on a camping trip as a as a senior class, mm-hmm. and there was a doctor along as one of our chaperones. And I said to him, just out of curiosity, because mm-hmm. I guess I was a weird kid, if, if we stumble across a body here on this hiking trail, mm-hmm. how do we know? Like, when do you decide you do life saving activity, and when don't you? Yeah. And he made a cynical response. He says, well, if there's moss growing over it, it's probably not worth starting. And it's like, okay, well, I got that. But the, but the question actually grew out of that same idea. When is, when, is, when is this person, when do we save them? And when do we go, no, they're too far gone? And the answer yeah. is we don't really know uh-huh. often. Uh-huh. And so what's the response? In the case that I don't know, it is my human responsibility to do everything I can to either revive or protect this Whatever it is, mm-hmm. that is just good moral principle. I'm not sure if this person's alive or dead. So it's my responsibility to care for it. And so in my mind, I kind of just settled in this place that said, I think it's right to protect all life, even the unborn child. That's going to fly in the face of a lot of a lot of other people who have different opinions. But I But if 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 we boil that question down to its most simple premise, and I were just to say all that is required, the only thing that is a salvation issue in the Bible, though there's only one, yes. and the only salvation issue is if you're accepting of Jesus. So if you're modeling your life after right. Jesus, it's okay to come with all of the sin in the world or all of right. the beliefs that you're not sure of. Park it at the foot of the cross and say, right. I don't know what to do with this. Yes. So I'm starting here. Yes. Let's grow from that premise. And, and like you said, sit down at the table. Let's figure it yeah. out. What a beautiful idea. I'm convinced that God exists. I'm convinced that Jesus was the son of God, that he died and rose again and is the savior of the world and will forgive me for my sins. I don't know about all this other stuff. Great. Come on in and let's begin the journey there and see where God heals us and frees us and helps us think better. 100%. I'll leave us with this text message. Text message writes in says, Noah, if anything the last couple of hours has shown us, it's that there's a thirst for a better understanding and a growing in faith. Maybe Mason could come back a couple of more times to help us grow during this Easter season. You up for that? I, I'm always open to that invitation. Sounds like it'd be a real thrill. All right. We'll do it again. Mason Peters, Hope Church. We appreciate the time, sir. We'll get you back real soon. Thank you. All right. We're late to the KNOX Newsroom. We'll get the latest from Doug Barrett and pick it up on the other side with Darren Gador from Bears Home Heating Solutions. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Thanks for listening to Critical Thought. Download the show notes at criticalthought.show. The content from this episode was taken from the live radio show, which airs every weekday from 9 a.m. to noon 
on News Talk 1310 KNOX. Streamed online at knoxradio.com.